0: Well, good morning, Foothill Church. I'm Brian Martinez. I'm a covenant partner, and uh, I get to lead our Foothill Students Ministry. Uh, And today's scripture are found in 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, and James 1, 2 through 4. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And now James one two through four, counten all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Now the way I want to do this is. Uh, kind of orient us to to what we're doing. Today, we're talking about perseverance, and we want to persevere in these things we're calling the spiritual disciplines that we see in Scripture. So let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, Maybe in your history classes growing up, uh, you, maybe junior high, high school, possibly even college, when you when you got to American history, early American history, they maybe touched on, there might have been a footnote, something that talked about uh, these two great awakenings. Maybe you've heard of the first great awakening and the second great awakening, right? Has anybody just nodded your head if this sort of sounds familiar at all, right? Am I just talking to the, okay, you're, you're, you're with me, good. Okay, so the first great awakening and the second great awakening, everybody sort of assumes that they are... Uh, just, just fairly similar, just like, wow, God poured out his spirit at these two different times. It's really amazing. One was in the 1730s, 40s, some places it went all the way to the 1760s. The other one started in 1795 and went to, I think it was 1835. So it's extended periods of God just pouring out his spirit. And that's how people look at it. These are these two great revivals uh, in the history of the United States. Um, I happen to believe that these are two very, very different things. Um, First of all, they were were the first great awakening. The second great awakening were, if you will, the the leaders or the central figure in each of them obviously were very different. Jonathan Edwards is a central figure that you usually think of or George Whitefield, the central figure you think of with the first great awakening. Uh, The second great awakening, that central figure would be Charles Finney. Um, and and the, these two men, had they been contemporaries, would, could not have been more radically different in terms of their convictions. Uh, in fact, let, let me read you something. Here's what, this is just a small quote, and he wrote a whole treatise on it. Jonathan Edwards said this about the first Great Awakening. He said, it was a surprising, here's the key, work of God. He says it was an extraordinary dispensation of providence. Translation, this was all of God. This was an absolute miraculous movement of God upon the colonial states of America. Charles Finney said this, a revival is not a miracle or dependent on a miracle. It is a purely scientific result of the right use of constituted means. In other words, men... Men, women can engineer a revival. It's not a work of God. It's not a miracle. It's human engineering. Uh, Again, these could not be more radically different. What are some of the means that Charles Finney would use? He had something, he called them the new measures, and he had one he called the anxious bench. And maybe this will sound familiar to you. You had to come to the front of the church, and at the front of the church, there'd be a bench, and he would have these supplicants, if you will, sit on the bench, and they would get the particular focus of the revivalist who would preach at them until they finally made a decision, gave in to Christ. This, was, this happened all over. They'd walk the sawdust trail. They, the, the place this happened was out in camp. I meetings. first great awakening is mostly churches or in cities where, where people, there would be some event in the middle of the city, in the middle of the, hu- of the hustle and bustle of daily life. In the second great awakening, you left your city, you left your home, you went out of the country, and you were there for days as you were sort of pounded on day after day, night after night by these revivalist preachers. These were very, very different things. Charles Finney repudiated, reformed doctrine, he repudiated the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. There was all these things where these were absolutely foundational. Christ and him crucified was foundational to the first great awakening. Charles Finney probably um, had more impact on modern evangelicalism uh, than any other uh, figure in the history of America. He literally reshaped the religious and Christian landscape of America to the point that we maybe uh, are, well, not maybe, we are um, in the family line, if you will, of Charles Finney. American evangelicalism evangelicalism, the the, the modern church, we are more Finney than we are Edwards. We're more second great awakening than we are first great awakening, right? That is that in the modern understanding, the the way you get to the core, the things we need, we don't need just sort of ordinary daily pedestrian things in the church. We need something extraordinary. It needs to be extreme and passionate and hardcore, right? It's got to be, it's got to be, there's got to be some sort of elevated experience that we all run after. That's Real Christianity. The stuff that happens here, far too pedestrian. We need a conference, we need an event, we need a camp, uh, we need a concert. Some of these things will get us to the place of an elevated Christian experience because the normal means of growing in Christ are simply too slow. They are, there's no immediate result. And unlike in the, in the first, second great awakening, the way you knew something was successful, see if this sounds familiar, is all numbers. How many people made a decision for Christ? How many people were spontaneously baptized? This is how you knew something was successful. You see what I mean? I mean this is this is sort of us. It's this ordinary versus extraordinary Christian life. And who wants to be ordinary when you can be extraordinary? Right? Nobody. Julie Canlis has written a wonderful little booklet called The Liturgy of the Ordinary where she says this, The extraordinary Christian is the one who is fueled by their personal spiritual experience and often sees this as opposed to everyday Christianity in the church. The ordinary Christian trusts that the structures set up by the apostles, baptism, catechism, the sacraments, are not opposed to growth. Finney ministered in an area of New York that to this day in religious circles, uh, is known as the burned over district. And the reason it's called burned over is because it was, it was the subject of so much religious fanaticism that it burned it over and there could be no more spiritual growth there. Now, now here's one of the reasons I'm telling you. We're after perseverance. We're after being in this for the long run. And, and if it has to be an extreme and if it has to be extraordinary, then we are very likely to be burned over. We are very likely to burn out. Like the ordinary means of God's grace in our life are, are, are not going to work for us. Um, Michael Horton, I'm going to quote him a couple times, but listen to this. He says, my concern, he's a, he's a theologian. My concern is that the activist impulse at the heart of evangelicalism, that's us, can put an enormous burden on people to do big things when what we need most right now is to do the ordinary things better. We can miss God in the daily stuff, looking for the extraordinary moment outside of his word and conversation with him in daily prayer and worship and especially the public gathering of the saints each Lord's day. If we were more serious about these ordinary means of grace, I'm convinced the church would have a much stronger witness in the world today. But that's so boring. That's so ordinary, right? That's not, we we want Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what we believe that means is that I can step out and do extraordinary things for God and he must bless me because he will allow me to do great things for him. And we rip it out of its context. You know what Philippians 4.13 is about? You know this, you know what God will empower you to do and strengthen you to do? You ready for how radical this is? He, he will allow you to be content. Read it. It's all about contentment. I can be, I can do all things, including be content. Through the Christ who strengthens me. Do you know anybody whose life verse um, is is First uh, Thessalonians four eleven? Okay, what's that? Here it is. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands. As we there, that's your aspiration. Aspire to live quietly, he says to the Thessalonians, and that's so boring. That's just far too ordinary. Who, who wants to live this kind of life when I can Instagram my meals and live with just incredible people? Who, who, who wants to live with people, you know, who are raising children and paying mortgages and going to school and trying to work from nine to five every single day? That just doesn't seem at all like what I want to be about. So listen, here's Michael Horton one more time. It's more fun to be a part of movements than churches because we can express our own individuality, pick our favorite leaders and be swept off our feet at conferences or concerts. We can be anonymous. It's way more fun. It's far more pedestrian to do this thing right here. See, for Finney, Real Christianity was, I got to take you away from your home, get you out in the country and barrage you with preaching until you're exhausted and you finally give in. For the first great awakening, it was like, no, this happens right where we live. And God needs to revive our hearts right here. Okay, so Chris, I thought we were talking about spiritual disciplines. <laughs> I don't know what this has to do with anything. It has everything to do with it. And here's Why? Because if, if we buy into this idea that, 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 that the spiritual disciplines are really the extraordinary thing, or we abide to the idea that we, we have to do these extraordinary things and these feel too pedestrian, then, then, then again, we'll, we'll burn out. We, we, won't, we won't, there will be no staying power to, to these things in our lives, right? If, if, if it has to be mountaintop experiences and, and these, these extraordinary moments, then, then we will not stay as part of this. If we see them as this is only for people who are ascetics or, you know, sort of religious monks or super spiritual, they'll never make their way into our life for most of us. Right? Rather, we have to see them. If I'm going to persevere in these disciplines and in the Christian life, I have to not see them as graduate-level Christianity. These are part of daily living. These are part of normal rhythms. These are things God has called us to persevere in. See, what the spiritual disciplines, if we're thinking of them rightly, I hope what you haven't heard, is, wow, listen how radical and extraordinary. Well, I think in some ways you will be just by being an ordinary Christian. Um, but it takes Christ and Christianity from a conceptual level, right, where most of us are comfortable having Him, and push it all the way down into daily living. That, that's really what we want to see. We want to see how these things are, are part of the discipline of Christian life, even on days when it's difficult, right? Because it's hard, and we'll see that in a moment. The the spiritual disciplines are difficult, but as we said on day one, anything worth doing is difficult. And any discipline means that we do it even when it's at its most difficult, right? We don't give up on parenting. We don't drop out of school. We don't just quit jobs because they get too hard. The things worth pursuing, we do. Because they're worth pursuing, we're saying, we'll do these even when they're difficult. So here's what I wanna do. I just wanna give you a few reminders. I wanna answer a few objections. And then I'm gonna leave you with a few indispensable truths when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, all right? So so let's start with a, a few reminders. These are just things that I think we've said in one way, shape, or form over the course of this, okay? The first reminder I wanna leave you with is this. There is no godliness apart from the spiritual disciplines. Okay? That's just there's just not. In other words, what I mean by that is you cannot be passive. You cannot just sort of hope godliness will happen. Paul says to Timothy, train, Timothy. Training is, is, a, is a word that's like, man, it, it, it takes work and it takes effort and it takes discipline. Discipline yourself, Timothy, for the sake of godliness. And so you, you cannot grow by just being passive. You're going to have to be proactive. And the spiritual disciplines are you saying, I'm going to be proactive in my, in my Christian life. Now, We've gone through what? 12, 13 different spiritual disciplines. We could say perseverance is a spiritual discipline. sort of encompasses all of them. Here's what I don't expect, that you will be able to do all of them all the time. Of course not. I don't. None of us will. What we ought to do is find room for them. What we ought to be doing is where do these, I want to grow in godliness. I want to look more and act more and think more like Jesus. What do I have to do? How do I get there? Remember, it's not, this is not about your salvation. This is about your sanctification. Okay, that which leads me to the second point. Spiritual disciplines don't save you. Okay, remember this. This is so crucial. You could practice them perfectly and still not be a Christian. Okay, you 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 don't we don't do these things to garner favor with God. We don't do these things in order. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Period. There is no earning through the spiritual disciplines. I work up my spiritual resume. Look at all this this discipline way I've lived. Now, God, you have to save me. Now, God, you've got to show me favor. Nope, not at all. No, we, we are saved, and therefore, we practice the spiritual disciplines. Not, I practice them in order to be saved. That's the second reminder, and that is absolutely crucial. And number three, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Here's why I say that. will. Will you feel in the spiritual disciplines weak? Yes. Will you at times wonder if you doing these things and being disciplined about them is worth it? Yes. Like just get ready for that, right? Expect that. It's like working out or, you know, cardio exercise. There comes a point where you're like, man, is it doing any good anymore? Why don't I feel progress? Listen, that is the Christian life. Man, there are days when you feel like, man, God, you're so gracious, and I sent you, and I feel the warmth of you being with me, and there are days it just feels like drip. Drip, drip, and I feel so weak. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. When you feel weak in pursuing the spiritual systems, when you feel weak in your Christian life, rejoice, brother and sister. In some ways, go, okay, here's an opportunity for me to understand how dependent I am upon God and lean into that dependence. It's like Paul saying, man, three times I pleaded with God, take this thing away from me. And he said, no, Paul, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. What's true for Paul is true for you and me. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Your weakness is not a sign that the spiritual disciplines are failing. In fact, they might be a sign that the spiritual disciplines are at work in you. God's power is made perfect. Okay, that's, that's the three reminders. Now, 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 let me give you, let me answer a few objections. In other words, what I, what I want to do is some of you may leave here and go, okay, we've heard all these spiritual disciplines, but no, I can't do them. And here's some reasons either why I can't or why I won't. Number one is I'm just too busy. Do you know anybody who would say, I'm not busy? <laughs> right? Retired people will say, I'm busy, right? Everybody will say, I don't know a person who says I'm not busy. Like I would say 99% of you in this room, man, how was your week? Busy, right? That's usually, it's that's like, like our little response because, because we are. Okay, now here's why I tell you that. Not just make fun of the fact that you think you're busy, but you're really not. No, to go, let's just admit it. We're all busy. And if I wait for some magic moment in my life when I'm not busy, I won't do anything that's important. What I've got to do is figure out a way to pull these things into a busy life. Jean Fleming, she's an author and I love this. She, she, she wrote, she's a busy wife and mother and all that. And she says this, I find myself thinking when life settles down, I'll blank, what? But I should have learned by now that life never settles down for long. Whatever I want to accomplish, I must do with life unsettled. That is really, really great advice, right? That, 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 is, that is where most of us live. Listen, listen, young people especially, hear me. Um, balance, this whole work-life balance thing that everybody talks about out there and you gotta have balance, you gotta have balance, that's a myth. (laughs) Okay, it's not real. It's like like a, a pot of gold in the end of the rainbow that you're chasing after that you think you're gonna find someday and it just keeps getting more and more elusive, right? Now, I don't say that to discourage you. I say that because I think that's a really helpful thing to realistically look at life and say, I probably will have moments, seasons, maybe a month. There might be this gracious period of time where I think, wow, just everything's kind of just you know, working out and then boom, something hits you, right? Kid comes along, kid gets sick, something happens. You know, there's all these things that throw our life out of balance. So stop thinking that the way you're gonna do this is get your life into balance, then I'll start. No, you won't, because you'll never get there, right? So, so what do you do? What do we do? We, we go, every, anything important, just name whatever that is. It could be, it could be physical exercise, right? It's, it's worth pursuing. I have to figure out how to bring that into my life right now in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of the unbalance. So can I tell you something I do? Um uh, because I'm not living a balanced life, right? Let me tell you just how this works is is I have to go and look at my calendar probably two to three times a year, okay? I have yet to find a rhythm in my life that will last me until Jesus returns, right? It just doesn't work that way. So what I gotta do is sit down and kind of go, okay, where does, I know there's some important things that have got to go into this schedule. How do I get them there? How do I rearrange or move some things or, you know, where does this work out so that I, I it's not so it's like I can find balance, but so that the important things in life can be done, right? If I value physical, you know, I, I need to work out, I got to take care of my body, then I'm going to have to figure that out in the midst of a busy schedule. But listen, if bodily training is a value, and I believe my Bible and Paul says, but, but, but training in godliness is of more value because it holds promise for not only this life but the life to come, then man, if I'm gonna find a place to do a physical workout, then I better have places in my schedule where I can bring in training in godliness. Okay, let me just say this. Right now, you are training in godliness. Coming to church, the ordinary means of grace are training in godliness. Picking up your Bible in the morning, in the afternoon, sitting down at lunch, whatever. You got a lunch break, whatever. All those things. These are ways of bringing the spiritual disciplines into the daily pattern of your life. Listen, I, I, I hope what you haven't heard is there should be this super intensive 15 to 30 minutes at the beginning or end of your day. That's how we do all the spiritual disciplines. Okay, that's a way maybe you could do something like that but let me tell you something better is to is to see how the spiritual disciplines can can fit into the warp and the woof of life right just the contours and the nooks and crannies. And hey, you know what? I have some time in my car and a commute and I'm doing chores. My mom used to say when, when we were kids, she would iron our clothes, right? And and as she ironed my clothes, she's praying for me as she ironed my sister's clothes. She prayed for her, right? There's ways that this can be balanced, right? I'm at work. There's something that comes to mind, right? For this time I'm gonna pray for this person, or this time I'm gonna read that, or here's a moment right in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this day where I can be quiet I can have solitude in the midst of craziness that that's what we're after you're are you too busy yeah you are does that make a difference for things that are important it shouldn't it shouldn't okay Second thing is I think people would say is I don't wanna be legalistic, right? Chris, there's all these things, you know, silence and solitude and journaling and fasting and praying and meditating and memorizing scripture and all these things you've talked about, Brian's talked about, Luke's has talked about over the last 14 weeks and, and it feels like I do all these and it sort of starts to feel robotic and that feels like legalism. Let me, set, let me clear something up for you. Obedience is never legalism, ever. Okay, it is just, that's not how this works. Trying to bring good habits, incorporate good habits into your life is not legalism. Here's what legalism. Legalism is the attitude that says, if I do all these things that they've talked about for the last 13 weeks, then God will love me more or this will earn God's favor and now I'm a child of his. That's legalism. Legalism is thinking those things will save you or those things will make God love you more or if you don't do them, it'll make God love you less. Christian, listen to me. Here's the good news. You can do nothing to make God love you more. Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. He loves you as much as he ever will, and it's infinite. And there's nothing, nothing you can do for God to condemn you. Right? Or let me say it this way. God doesn't punish his children. He disciplines them, but I see a difference there. Discipline trains us, it disciples us toward godliness. Punishment is just punitive. Right? We send, we punish guilty people by sending them to prison for life, right? Some of them, right? Is that discipling them? No. It's just punishment. But God God disciplines those he loves to help us. So, so don't mistake, don't confuse God's discipline, your hand of discipline upon your life as, as being something that's condemning or punishment. It's not. You can't do anything to make him love you more. And listen, it is not legalism when you're just simply trying to walk in obedience and grow in godliness. That's the second objection. The third objection is you'd say something like, I prefer spontaneity, right? These things seem scheduled and you've got to find this rhythm and I've got to have this discipline to my life and I just prefer to be spontaneous. I want to kind of go with the flow. This is the Christian equivalent of Disney's follow your heart, right? I want to be able to do what I want to do in that moment. Okay, you understand that doesn't work with with anything. If you decide the only way you're going to keep your body in shape is when you feel spontaneously like you want to, guess what? You're probably going to sit on the couch, binge watch things, and eat a bag of chips. Because you're very rarely going to feel like, you know what I want to do? I want to go. I, I, I just I feel it right now. Or if you do, you'll do it so sporadically it has no benefit for you. No. See, look. The, the, let's say this. Real discipline is what allows you to be spontaneous, right? The, the most, the, the guy, the gal who is most disciplined with their money can now afford to be spontaneous when something arises, right? The, 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 the one who works out most regular and is disciplined can be, can be spontaneous. Hey, let's run that hill, the the musician that practices the most can feel the freedom to be spontaneous when they're playing the teacher who says man I've created study plans and we work this plan now can run off course and tackle something spontaneously because they've been disciplined the lawyer who stands in front of judges to argue his case right and he knows the case law and he studied what this case is all about has the ability when that judge asks a spontaneous question to be able to answer spontaneously I could go on and on. Jesus was the most disciplined person who ever walked the earth, and that's why he could just stop when somebody was there and minister to them. Spontaneity is really overrated. Discipline allows you to be spontaneous in nearly every arena of life. So those those are three objections. Now, let me just leave you with a few indispensable truths, okay? Things that you gotta know if you're gonna make spiritual disciplines a part of you. Number one, the spiritual disciplines are futile apart from the Holy Spirit, right? They, They will do nothing for you. If the Holy Spirit does not dwell in you, this goes back to even what I said earlier, right? We don't do them in order to be saved. We do them because we are saved. But when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us power for living, right? So listen, no one can make themselves more like Christ. I hope you know this. You can't do anything of your own accord to make yourself more like Christ. Listen, the spiritual disciplines are means to an end. They're not the end. Right? I, I'm spiritually disciplined. This is what I'm after. No, no, no. The end is being more Christ-like, godly, holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Right? That's what we're after. And if, you're, if your goal is anything less than that, then your goal is pointless. Your goal is futile. Um, we said this early on. Uh, you, you can't be godly. Without the spiritual disciplines, you can't be Christ-like, holy, without the spiritual disciplines, but you can do the, the spiritual disciplines and not be holy. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what makes the difference. Right? There is no Christianity. I mean, <laughs> some of you grew up in circles like I did, where we would say things like, that's a spirit-filled church or spirit-filled Christian. That, that, that's like, like saying... You know, that's a Scandinavian Swede. You understand? That's a, you've just re- been repetitive. There's no such thing as a non spirit filled Christian. That doesn't exist. We must have the spirit, or we're not Christian. Jerry Bridges says this, he says, a major temptation in the self-discipline approach to holiness, however, is to rely on a regiment of spiritual disciplines instead of on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the spiritual disciplines. I seek to practice them, he says, but those disciplines are not the source of our spiritual strength. There you go. The Lord Jesus Christ is, and it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to apply his strength to our lives. That's what we're after. These things aren't strength on their own. These things could be horrible weakness and like I, 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 I'm not making any headway because I don't have the Holy Spirit. Listen, if, you, if you're not a believer, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, then you don't have the Holy Spirit and these will just be futile things for you. That, that's the first truth I need to leave you with. Second truth is this, the need for, for Christian fellowship. Okay, here, here's what I, what I want you to hear. We, remember, remember Michael Horton's quote, that we we like movements more than churches because we can be, we, we can pick our favorites and we can remain anonymous, okay? Not if you're a Christian, you can't. There is no such thing as anonymous Christianity. Let's say it. There's no such thing as isolated Christians who can do this all on their own. Our growth is bound up with others. Let me show you something. If you want to turn over or write in your, in your notes, Ephesians chapter 4. And listen to verses 11 through 16. Here's one example from Scripture. I could give you multiple examples. But listen how much my growth and your growth are bound up with each other. And there is nothing in here about being able to do this on your own. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, you can't do that by yourself, Whenever all of us are playing our part, that's what I need, that's what you need. We all need each other. We must have Christian fellowship. There is no such thing as isolated Christianity, right? Christianity, that is not an option. Isolated Christianity is not an option for a God who refuses to remain isolated. Now, What's a core Christian doctrine? We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. And what is the doctrine of the Trinity? We believe that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect eternal fellowship with one another. And so he's not going to say, "Hey, you know what? Some of you who are like, you know, I am good. I do the spiritual disciplines on my own, right? I can stay at home. I don't need the fellowship of the church." Look, I I know you believe that, but you didn't get that from your Bible. Let's just know we're found even close to the Bible. Then what you believe is that you, you, have, you have now outmatured the local church. You have outmatured reading your Bible the way Jesus and the apostles would read, the, read their Bible. You don't think Hebrews applies to you. That, that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Right, for you, this is a Lone Ranger thing. No, you're just never, 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 never gonna see that. Jesus and the apostles, Paul, if you said to them, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church, they would scratch their heads and say, that, that, is, that makes no sense. This is absolutely crucial. Your fellowship with other believers is key, right? Be careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, when Paul says, says, let anyone who thinks he knows better take heed. Lest he fall. Be careful. And lastly, the last truth I want to leave you with is the inevitability of hardship. Okay, hear me. We don't, we, we're, by the way, let me just give you a little teaser for the future. We're going to start going through the book of Job in the fall. And, um, and I'm excited about this. But of course, if you know the book of Job, the book of Job's all about a righteous, upright man who suffered. Talk about flying in the face of our culture. Talk about flying in the face of what most of us think uh, uh, Christianity buys us. We ignore things like Jesus saying to his disciples, hey guys, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might, you for sure will. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like that is, that is the lot of the Christian life and you practicing the spiritual disciplines won't prevent that. Now here's why I tell you that. I want you to have a realistic understanding but I also don't want you to think that when those hardships come if you happen to, you know, fail one day, oh God's punishing you. Please hear me. There's no condemnation. There's no punishment, right? The, the spiritual disciplines aren't gonna prevent you from suffering. In fact, you may have noticed uh, Brian read more of 1 Timothy chapter four this morning. We, we the last fourteen weeks we've read verses uh, seven and eight. Now we're going to read nine and ten. This saying is trustworthy and full uh, and deserving of full acceptance. Look at what Paul says: For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on God. Paul says we toil and strive, and these are I don't know how else to put this. Th- the, th- these are, are are difficult words in the sense that like. Like, there's, there's energy being expended. He's saying, man, it's hard, hard work to strive and toil after training in righteousness, right? This is, this is something I have to work hard at. Paul, the apostle, says I have to toil and strive to train myself in godliness. It's not easy. It takes practice. It takes hard work. And there will be, life will be hard, and life will produce struggle. Listen, listen to Paul in First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in, yeah, in First Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just start reading at verse 25. Paul says this. He had actually said more in verses 23, but he says, in 24, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from the other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches do you hear Paul's going this is not just physical this is an emotional suffering that I go through all the time that's a Christian talking like that's not a guy who says man I blew it I didn't have enough faith Um, you know I kind of veered and and God just, just brought the hammer down No, in my service to Christ, this is what I did. G.I. Packer said this, we need to remember that any idea of getting beyond conflict outward or inward in our pursuit of holiness in this world is an escapist dream that can only have disillusioning and demoralizing effects on us as, as, as waking experience daily disproves it. What we must realize rather is that any real holiness in us will be under hostile fire all the time just as our Lord's was. Listen, if you buy into a gospel that says there is no suffering, you're being lied to. You're just flat out being lied to. In this world, you will have suffering. But here's the the wonderful thing. Paul's going to say in Romans 8, and for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is why I wanted you to hear James 1 again. Count it all joy, my brothers, sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. How do you get to perseverance? Steadfastness, same, same idea. Through suffering. Suffering is the spiritual equivalent of, you know, an agonizing workout. Why do you do that? Why do you lift more weight than you've ever lifted before? Why do you run a farther distance than you've ever run before? Why do you try to run faster and train your body? What's happening in that moment? What are you doing? You're saying I want to grow. And the only way to actually do this and grow in this is by the further pressure and the weight. Well, this is what God, here's what I love about this. What this means is that your suffering isn't futile. Your suffering is purposeful. <laughs> I, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard people compare the, the difference between, a, 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 this has never happened either, as you'll obviously hear, between passing a stone and having a baby, right? Very different experiences, right? But, but let me say this, one has a point, <laughs> right? One has a purpose, which is why women, which is inf- unfathomable to me, would get done with that and go, let's do it again, <laughs> right? Um, why? Because there's a purpose to their pain. Okay, this is what God's saying. There's a purpose to this. Your suffering is not in vain. What God has you going through is all going to be leveraged by him for his glory and your good. It's inevitable, okay? I don't say that to depress you, Any more than I say, hey, if you go to the gym, you probably ought to keep pushing yourself towards some sort of personal best, right? Because why? Because it's training you and it's building up your resistance and giving you the ability to do more. That's what God does. We would never invite this suffering, but God in his providence brings suffering into our lives and saying, watch, watch if we'll allow it. It'll produce endurance, Endurance will produce character. Character will produce hope. And hope won't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So where do we go from here? 14 weeks of this. Well, hear me again. I don't expect it in 14 weeks. Everybody's mastered it. Did we have a fun time? Great, let's put those on the shelf and walk away. No, what we hope is that, that you and I will, will, these will just be the beginning. This is the introduction to practicing the Christian life over months and years together, right? So can I just say something? Listen, if you're like, I want to grow. I really do want to, to be more godly than than. We wanna just help you. Like we're gonna be doing this with you. We wanna try. So we're gonna take from here on out. Every month you're gonna hear, hey, this month is about fasting. Doesn't mean you have to fast for a month, right? But we're gonna give you some practical tools. This month's about solitude or silence or this month's about journaling or this month's about, about prayer or, or meditation or memorization. So you can go to that QR code right there. And if you're like, hey, I wanna be part of getting those kind of resources, then I encourage you, uh, just grab that on your phone and, and you'll, be, you'll be on an email list. We're not gonna barrage you with things. We just want to give you helpful resources that will continue and help us. If all we do is take a 14-week sermon series like this, set it on the shelf and go, remember way back when in 2023 we did that series? That was great, you know, but it has no bearing. What we want is this to continue to keep feeding us and helping us grow in grace and godliness. Okay, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the ways that you have, you have given in your word places where we can grow in godliness. You haven't just left us to try to figure this out, what might be helpful. And now, God, I pray that we'd commit ourselves to, to be <laughs> lifestyle athletes, People that don't go, hey, I did this for a month to train for a marathon, but I I did this. Spiritual, people that would say, man, I'm going to do this. This is something that I'm going to start bringing to my life more and more and more. None of us are doing these all. None of us have mastered any of these. I know I haven't. And I'm challenged. But God, I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus. I'm tired of seeing some things that I struggle with just be besetting and sit there and it seems like there's no, there's no end to them. I, 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 want to, I want to grow in grace and knowledge. I want to be trained. And so, Lord, help me. Help me as your spirit prompts me. Help me to cooperate with that and do what you've called me to do. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room that... They would look and say, Lord, what they've heard is, is, is ultimately the spiritual disciplines won't save you. Jesus saves you. And today might be a day where they would put their faith, their hope, their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins to be reconciled to God. That the process of transformation could, could begin today for them. Lord, let it be. We can't save anybody. It is not... <laughs> It is not purely a scientific thing that you know we, we just apply these constituted means that bring about A plus B equals a salvation. It is a work of God. It's a miracle of grace. Lord, would you do that miracle this morning in only the way that you can. Draw people to a crucified Messiah who died for their put sin in their place, rose for their justification, that they could be declared legally righteous before God. Do that, I pray, O God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.